With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Because they have 
They can't make money, they can't go anywhere, they can't look at themselves, because they know the prodigal son has returned. I'm alive. The prodigal son has returned. People in the world, sidekick Zabenga, back on the microphone, the prodigal son has returned, though I'm not exactly like the story, but my absence has been noted by more than a few people wondering, how come I've not been on the air? I'll tell you why. <laughs> I got surgery coming up on my wrist. It's been a, a thing for a lot of my viewers out there, and the viewers on the radio, no listeners out there who've been following my saga <laughs> of my uh, multiple health crises. Is that world 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 crises or the crisis or crises? Anyways, um, they made a decision. They're gonna go into my wrist. I think in the next two weeks. I don't know. I'll keep you all posted. So, just dealing with that um, has been very draining, you know, physically and mentally. Uh, spiritually, it's been a struggle, you know. But everything's flowing. Got my folks talking to me. So I have my folks praying for me, and I have my people I reach out to, and I have those moments of this is getting on my nerves. Uh, school also came to an end last week, so I actually got in my last grade an hour ago. When you have six classes, one side law, three are law, three are uh, network technology, and you have approximately 30 students in each class. On the law side, you have to read all the essays, look for those uh, mispronunciations, misspellings, uh, what have you. And on the tech side, you have to see if they actually answered the right question the right way or they spelled it the right way because if it's spelled wrong, it's wrong. You know, hey, there can't be no leeway. You got to give it to them hard. So it has been, I think my brother, uh, Pata, out in Boston, put it on his Facebook that he's been grading, so he knows what it feels like. So all you teachers out there, trust me, you're not alone. So dealing with that, um, we had a great casting a little while ago for Once Upon a Time in the Congo. I actually sent out a rough cut to a few people in the mix, get their flow, let them know what's going on. Um, We have Brenda Lopez will be playing the role of Geneva, still looking to fill the role of Hatari Shinji. Is it Shinji? Yes, Shinji. So everything's coming by. We have a great director, and it's uh, Jennifer Alavez. Uh, saw her real. She's doing some good stuff. Her shot list is unreal. It's like a detailed mission um, flight plan for NASA. So she has some great ideas. And she, in fact, she even saw her uh, auditions. Like it was a film, two camera over the shoulder. I mean, literally, it was like a surveillance footage at one point. So she's on board. So everything's flowing. Howard's doing a great job in reference to uh, the producing side. So I think the, I feel, you know, the next thing we have to do is we have to locate Hatari. It's been a very difficult struggle, casting, difficult struggle. I'm just one of those uh, adventures today, right? But it's been a challenge uh, filling that role. But I have a couple of people in mind who I think will definitely bring it. Guess what their schedule looks like so we can get them into the mix. So that's definitely going to flow. I think we'll be shooting. I feel we'll be shooting this scene. Probably everything's contingent when we do the operation because it's supposed to be a six-week recovery time where I can't use my my uh, my arm. So, you know, everybody's patiently waiting. So we're just assembling the forces there. Um, we also have uh, Kanima Parkinson-Jones in the mix uh, as Providence in our La Femme, La Femme uh, film we're working on. Ironically, she has her own piece, the solo piece, and she makes a character a character appearance or a crossover appearance, cameo appearance in uh, a Neo song. So that's good. Uh, Kanima's from Sierra Leone. 
spent some time in Mozambique, speaks Portuguese, French, uh, Creole from her country, and I think I'm missing a language, probably German. Actually, I think she has a rudimentary understanding of German. So that's good. Uh, now we're looking at who's going to do a Lucian. I have a good idea. Claudia, what's going on? I'm going to call her today. So, Claudia, I'm, I'm, I'm on the air now. What's going on, girl? What's the word? So, otherwise, everything's flowing, you know. Missing the family. Had a great Father's Day. Hung out with Dar. Checked out Super 8. Check out Super 8, people. It's a great film for you filmmakers out there. It actually rekindles the feelings I had back in the 70s, early 80s when I um, really had my interest peaked in reference to producing. So, you know, check that out, Super 8. Uh, you might want to see Green Lantern sometime soon before they take off the light bulb because that movie bombed. I knew it was going to bomb. You knew it was going to bomb. We all knew it was going to bomb. But obviously somebody at the studio didn't think it was going to bomb because they spent $300 million on that film. $300 million. I don't think Titanic cost that much. I mean, my God. And that's the best they can deliver. So my brother Parker said I should check it out. I might check it out. Uh, he, I said the bootleg or matinee. He said matinee. So I may creep in there tomorrow, see what's up in the cut. But my God, it only made like $52 million. It came in less than X-Men First Class. So, you know, Nathan First Class is a good film. I like how it's set in the 60s. You know, I have my issue of how to check out one of the characters, and those that know me know what I'm talking about. But it's very good how it's set back in the 60s. Uh, catch that, the, uh, the attire, the vibe, the flow. I like that. I like that. I don't know why we don't see more films like that coming out of black Hollywood. Um, there's a lot of fo- us folks out there who are writing these, pe- these pieces like X-Men or in the same genre as Blade Runner or Super 8. But for some reason, either we're not getting the financing. They're not getting the financing. We're in this together. So we're not getting the financing or... Folks just aren't, they just want to see more of the same old, same old. So anyways, today's show, people, uh, let's see, have we done some business today? No. Yes, we have. Uh, Joelle is not here today, our producer. She's on vacation. She's over there, actually in Hawaii for another two weeks. So it's just you and I. Dun, 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 dun. Do I have that in the rotation here? Uh, some Rick James there. Sorry about that, folks. I'm not trying to sing. Uh, today's Groove. They definitely say hello to. Yes, there's, uh, there's a big clan, the Kabango clan, Kendra, my little sister. She finished her nine-week Bikram yoga uh, teacher's orientation out here. Uh, she was out here for a while. It was really intense. I didn't get to see her until like almost the, the day, but, uh, second to last day where I just rolled down there, surprised her, and it was very emotional seeing her um, at that time. She was, she was really emotional herself. You know, she's my little sister. I had to go see her. So congratulations. You know I'm working in the mix of interviewing uh, Bajimba consultants in reference to their program they're working on. That would be Mwadi Bajimba. And also looking at talking to uh, Shaumba down the road and Musa Masanga of uh, her organization, Masanga Management. I think she changed the name to something else, though. So there's a couple of interviews I want to get in there. We definitely want to get Howard Simpson on the mic. You know, every time we have these conversations about film or um, life, technology, media, whatever, that we always go into so many things. We can just, literally within like an hour and a half, two hours, we just cover so many uh, areas, comic book, sci-fi, what have you. So we're going to definitely have to hook that up. And a little surprise interview I'm trying to put together. We can work that out uh, somewhere down the road. We'll see what's up. So, people, today, what's up with you guys? You know, it was supposed to be a rebroadcast of the Congo Vision interview. I wanted Crispy Claire because when I heard it before, I was hearing all these background noises. I didn't really know. I didn't know it was even there. I, yet, ironically, it's one of the highest listened show I have on our on our station here. So I'm debating whether I want to play it or I won't play it, but I probably will because I think a lot of you have not heard it. So I'll definitely play it at the uh, at the uh, uh, we'll say uh, 30 minutes in to our show here. 
So I'll see what we can do here. I'll get you some more time on that mix. Now, before I forget, I must say congratulations to my Boston Bruins. Yes, you all know we won the Stanley Cup in Vancouver, the land, the area of that lunatic Rwandan up there, Louisa. I haven't talked to in a while. I hope she's doing well. I believe she's doing her on-the-street interviews. So all you guys in Vancouver, if some fine Rwandan comes on through the camera and she's asked you questions, stay on business first. Don't ask for the phone number first. Ask for all her questions. And she'll probably get deep and ask you something out of the blue that will really make you think. So really be on the lookout. I believe it's a nice program. She's going to you know, up in Vancouver from the Vancouver Canuck fans. My God, folks was rioting like, oh, my God, what was going on up there? But, you know, that's their business. The Boston Bruins, Stanley Cup champion, people. We haven't won a belt since 1972. Not the belt, the championship in 1972, 1970. I'm old enough, or was I young enough? I'm old enough, or I was young enough at that time to remember those championships. People, it's a great day, very emotional and the story of Tim Thomas has to be really understood because I think he's a story of perseverance, not just the Bruins, but the Bruins overall, but his story of how he came to the league, how he played overseas, Europe, Swiss, minors, and at 37 to really bring the mission as he did, it's, it's really a testament to perseverance and not giving up when everybody else would give up. And one of the things that always touches my spirit is the story that when he was you know, a young kid back in the day that he wanted to go to goalie camp, but the family didn't have enough money. So what his parents did, his mom and dad, what they did was they sold their wedding bands so he could have a, so they could have enough money to send him to goalie camp. What I mean I mean that's that's sacrifice. My mom's done that for me, my dad's done that for me, my family's done it for me. We all do it for each other. And that's where you have faith. We just believe and it's not about words, it's about action. And what feeling I would love to know when I talk to Tim Thomas when I go back to Boston, I wanna ask him, what was, what what was going through your head when you just holding up the con smite? you know, MVP of the team. And then when you touch the cup, what was going through his head? You know, was he thinking about all those journeys when they when they interviewed him, they asked him, okay, so how do you say this? And he, in this language, he said it in the different language. The guy said, no, that's Finland. He goes, well, I, was, I played there too. He was all over the place. And it's really a story of perseverance for all you cats out there about you're wondering when it's going to happen. You're putting all this work in. You, as my cousin, uh, my little sister, Esther, says, you're putting all this work in and everything's going so slow so you think nothing's happening. But then, you know, trust me, it's really happening. It's really flowing. But you can't give up. And after, if you feel like giving up, find somebody that's really had faith and you sit back and look at it and list down all the people that have really helped you out when you really thought it wasn't going to happen, whether it be some bus, you know, money for bus fare to an audition, whether it's like uh, letting you use a computer so you can do a resume and you got the job, whether it's someone picking you up and driving you to a job interview, or I remember when the bus was on strike back in uh, back in the day and uh, here in L.A. and I had to get to work. I remember my neighbor drove me from North Hollywood all the way down to Hollywood. I'll never forget that to this day. He's an actor from Germany, so I'm definitely gonna hook him up, you know, with a role or something like that because he has some awesome talent. So for those that want to give up, think about Tim Thomas' story when he could have gave up, and even when the Bruins, when the rumors were on that they wanted to trade him from the Bruins, he was saying, "I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave." Now look. Conn Smythe MVP player for the MVP, Stanley Cup championship, and then he's a lock. They're saying he's a lock for the Vincenza Award, best goalie in the league. So I'm just imploring you, don't give up, but just know where you want to go and what is your vision. Is it your vision or is it somebody else's vision? Because sometimes if you put in your effort in someone else's vision, you, you'll get drained a lot quicker than you would if it was your own vision. So really think about that. Are you doing it for you or are you doing it for other people? Because one thing you're doing for other people because they've really invested in you, you don't want to let them down. You want to make sure they're 
their investment, their sacrifice in you wasn't in vain. Yet, convert, if you're doing it for somebody else because that's what they want you to do, well, you have to really question if that's your vision. Follow your vision, follow your heart, it won't lie to you. Now, I have to send a message out to my people in Vancouver. Look, you have to show the love, like Lisa was talking about there. You know, it was very classy to see some of the Vancouver fans clapping when the Bruins had the, the Stanley Cup because you can basically that was Montreal. They, they would have walked out. They gave them the love, they gave them the applause, but there were too many riots going out there. There was that great picture people took of that guy and girl on the floor during the riots where he was checking to see if his woman was okay. Oh, talk about love. Woo. And the father put on Facebook, that's how us men roll. You know, whatever. But I want to, let, me, let me send a song out to the people up there in Vancouver, and we'll come back to our show. So we're going to do our Congo Vision uh, rebroadcast. It's not as clear as I thought it would be, but, you know, I, I was going to play. I had to be a man of my word. Uh, don't forget this Sunday we have a show on Syria, Battle of Syria. You know, the battle between President Assad and the people of Syria is getting deep, getting intense, getting more vicious and murderous, yet where is no fly zone over Syria. It's a lot deeper than people think. So here's a message to the people up there in Vancouver. I believe they speak French, so you got to take a little break for love up there, all right? Let's ride. Oh. 
situation in DRC. Uh, do you have an update on uh, the peace talks that are taking place in uh, Nairobi, uh, Kenya, between the government, uh, the Congolese government, and uh, the CNDP rebels? Actually, I do. I spoke to someone in Nairobi about um, on my way to where I'm right now. They, the update is that they they're going to continue the peace talks in January. Um, uh, including the people are complaining that the government is, t is uh, occupying uh, towns and villages vacated by the rebels. And on top of that, there is a and if you go to um, there's words coming out that a businessman out of Rwanda who's making almost, almost a million dollars a week out of Congo. He's upset now with the UN report being put forward that he's probably uh, moving also. So the peace accords right now are, are on standby until middle of January, which is another joke because. You're doing a wonderful job with your uh, radio. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your radio? What is its mission and what is your target audience? Uh, the mission is basically to just speak you know, truthfully, not as an intellectual, not as a government official, not as an academic, not as someone trying to get a job anywhere and trying to be friends with everybody. Basically, to speak the truth about what's going on, presenting the facts as they are so that people can say they did know. And presenting the facts, you know, whether it makes people look good or look bad, just letting people know what's going on. And the target audience is really the Congolese themselves who are looking for uh, uh, another venue, along with Congo Vision and other forums, to hear what's going on back home, respond to what's going on back home. And outside of the Congolese community, the diaspora, if you want to say, um, it's all those people who are trying to figure out a way to be an ally, a true ally of Congo, but the information they're getting is making it sound so complicated, they don't know where to begin. So I'm hoping to reach out to them saying, this is the situation, this is what's going on, ABC, not what you want to do. That's it. And how long have you been around? Or how long has you already been around? It's actually uh, a little over a month now. I believe we started in November. Um, I heard the report. I heard an interview on one of these other stations out of D.C. So we started, I think it was uh, the big first week in November. So about two months now. Why do you think Congo war stories appear rarely on local news in the United States? Because people are making too much money off what's going on back home in different ways. I mean, they want to talk, I mean, for example, um, Kony just killed 35 more people um, up there on the border of Uganda. Uh, Ugandan war plane crashed in Congo a couple days ago. But what's happening is that there's this fatigue. I don't think it's, uh, uh, okay, who can we focus on for this month? And unfortunately, Congo is not having the advocates like they are for Darfur or for Rwanda or for the, um, the you know, Houston, Ukraine or what have you. We don't have that. So that's what the scenario is right now. They, you know, people talk about what's going on in Congo, but they always refer to it as a humanitarian crisis. Refugees going from Goma to Bukavu or from wherever, wherever, but they never talk about what's the root causes. But we're starting to see a little bit more of those stories coming out now. But that's the main reason. They don't want to talk about, you know, because these corporations are making money off what's going on back home, and they're not really interested in talking about the truth and have their hands, you know, showing that they have blood on it. Let me have your, your take on uh, the root cause uh, uh, of the, the, the crisis in uh, DRC. I wrote a paper on that. Uh, uh, what is your take on that? What is the root cause? Rwanda. This is, I mean, it basically comes down to, and this isn't like Rwanda, Rwanda State. It's basically Rwanda to a lesser extent, Uganda, and the Congolese within DRC aligned with them. You know, 
Rwanda, you know, being mobilized. But the Rwandans, Kagame, he was telling the Americans, don't come in. He told the U.N., don't come in. We're going to fight you. The French said, you know what, forget you. We need to stop saving these people regardless of our alliance or differences. We need to stop the genocide. So there was actually a point in western Rwanda, east of the border of the DRC, outside the Kivus, where the French army was actually in, literally in combat against the Kagame's rebels. But, you know, it was from that moment on that Rwanda decided, hey, look, our interest is paramount to anybody else's. And, you know, the West was feeling guilty with Rwanda. They used that to their advantage, you know, the battered rights syndrome. But the root cause is, is basically Rwanda. They feel it's, it, they feel they're justified to invade Congo whenever they want. They feel they're justified, you know, to rule Congo whenever they want. They feel like they can, they can support any militia whenever they want because, they feel that they were abandoned, even though they're the ones that basically almost brought the genocide upon themselves by prolonging it, by not negotiating with anybody, including the ex-Rwanda government that was in exile. So the root cause is Rwanda in reference to minimal expo- expo- uh, exploitation and land exploitation. They want the land in the case closed. And the people supporting Rwanda, the West, and other African countries, they're all using Rwanda as a middleman to exploit Congo. So that way they don't have to deal with the government and do it officially. And what about the French? Uh, I mean, these are the people who brought uh, the Interamo uh, into the, the Kivu region. Uh, mm-hmm. Should they uh, be more involved in trying to help uh, send them back home, or what role do you think they should play right now? They should. They should have a. They should have a, a very forceful role in sending them back home. I mean, we, you know, as a Congolese, and a lot of us have our issues with the French. They're not exactly, you know. Uh, the, uh, how we say, the, uh, the uh, nation of prosperity when it comes to the continent. But the French, you know, yeah, they, they allow the Interhomme you know, into the country. But they also created a buffer zone in Rwanda to separate the uh, refugees going to Congo from the RPF who were turning them down. But I believe the French should be involved. And in fact, if you look at uh, the Ituri region when the French led uh, military force got involved there, they basically brought that situation with the Lebanon and the Hindu to a resolution very quickly. Unfortunately, once they left, Uganda started getting back into the Ituri region and started manipulating the situation. But the French, they need to be in the front of this. They need to be in the front saying, we have to resolve this situation. We do have a problem to play on what the situation is going on. No in the highway, no problems in the key. Uh, how can Congolese citizens around the world be uh, more involved in uh, being part of the solution? They need to be like, you know, the thing with Congo vision and you guys have been out there for a long, I mean, a long time. Congo Vision, let me give an example. Congo Vision is one of those organizations, you know, the Europe portal. The UN will come out and say there are reports of Rwandan soldiers in Goma and Bukavu. But then Congo Vision will put up video footage of the Rwandan soldiers in Bukavu, Goma, with Rwandan ID. And I think what we need to do is stop being reactionary. A website was made about some new federalist state in East Kivu and all the colonies reacted. What we need to do is stop arguing amongst ourselves, look at the country, and really start advocating by saying, you know what, let's tell our story, let's put the media out there, let's do a short story, a short film, a short play, or something like that, and let's really start unifying beyond the ethnic lines and the ethnic divisions we have back home. You know, there's too many people who are saying, well, the Swahili phones are responsible for this on the Kabila. And the Swahili phones say, well, the Lingala phones are responsible for this on the Mobutu. But let me you know, you're coming from our Congo, I'm coming from Yemen. You know, it's still our country. So what we need to do is support the Congo vision, support the people out there who have very little resources and are doing what they need to do. And say, look, let's get the word out. Let's use the media like the way the Rwandans did. And 
that's how the Rwandans did it. And what they did was they linked their situation to the Jewish situation. Well, you know, we have an extermination going on. So we show, you know, link our situation to any mass killing around the planet. So that's what we need to start doing as Congolese. Start using the media. Conferences are night, dissertations are night, papers are night. But let's stop using the media to say, this is what's going on in the simplicity. Here are the facts in the simplicity. And what do you want to do? And if they don't want to do anything, at least, we can, at least they can't say what we need to know. There you go. And the crisis in uh, DRC has produced what is known as uh, the worst humanitarian disaster of our time. There is a perception uh, that uh, very little is being done uh, to end the crisis. Why is the United States not running in uh, Rwanda uh, and uh, Uganda or even DRC to force a definitive solution to the crisis? Because they, they, they have a conflict of interest. If there's no crisis, then they have to do business in a legitimate, transparent way. If there is a crisis, then, you know, they don't have to. I mean, when you, everybody knows all through the 96, Rwanda is exporting mineral. They, I mean, Rwanda has as much mineral as the parking lot behind the building I'm standing in right now. And, you know, all of a sudden they're exporting gold and all these minerals and all these, uh, uh, you know, diamonds and coal and you got it to a lesser extent. It's a conflict of interest, you know. You want to deal with the government in Kinshasa and do it transparently, and there's the government that you wanted, or you know what, let's just, let's just let the humanitarian crisis uh, escalate and we'll just deal with the middlemen so we can say we didn't know where it came from, but, you know, we'll give lip service to what we need to. Uh, support the peace treaty in Nairobi. We need to support the ICD in South Africa as all this service. The U.S. and the, the, the British won't get involved because, you know, other families also aren't forcing them to get involved. There was more excitement about Obama's, uh, President Obama's uh, election by the Congolese than there was about raising awareness about what's going on in Eastern Congo and the American support for it. The biggest embassy right now in Africa is being built in Rwanda. So what does that tell you? What should the U.S. do to uh, help the Congo? Uh, how can it uh, help make a difference? Cut off the aid to Rwanda. It's, it's, it's that simple. If you see King Leo, if you see um, the Irish did it, the Dutch did it, the Swiss are doing it, when they see the reports of the, the slaughter that's taking place in the they just cut off the first, they cut off the, 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 um, the economic aid to the country. As you got there, Rwanda is a donor state. Most of their budget comes from outside the country. All the United States has to do is do like the Israelis, give the Palestinians, cut off the money. Say, hey, look, if you don't resolve this right now, you're not going to get any money. Rwanda has no other options but then to pull back. And the situation is that you cut off the table, the legs. You know, Rwanda is the legs on the table. The table is the corner. So you get rid of, you know, you deal with Rwanda in that situation, then you deal with the corner. But that's the easiest way. Diplomatic encompasses won't work. Just start threatening economic aid to the country. Resolve it or cut off your aid. A month of no economic aid in Rwanda will have a lasting effect in the Great Lakes structure. Yeah, it, it goes without saying that the U.S. needs to show a greater resolve and more leadership to help end the crisis in, in DRC. As long as it doesn't do anything, uh, nobody else is going to get involved. The, the international uh, community is not going to get involved. And yet, this is the same international community 
through the UN that authorized the French uh, to bring the, the, the Hutus into the Congo in 1994. Uh, now, why isn't the same international community helping return the remaining Rwandan Hutu militiamen uh, uh, to their, their country? Because what's going on is that we as Congolese are not forcing the issue. That, you know, what happens is that a lot of us in, in, in the Congolese community and abroad, again, this is you know, my, my view of my opinion, so it's my answer into this scenario. Too many of us out of the saying that my mother shared with me in Chiluba in reference to, you know, we don't ask the, 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 the fox to watch the hen house, we have the chicken to do that. And by that it means that too many of us are looking outside to other people to do what's right for Congo. The one thing about the Rwandans, regardless of what we say about Kagame and Gokai, they look out for their own interests first. Uh, even though we know the fact that their own interest benefits everybody else's interest, we as Congolese, we tend to put everybody else's interest first before our, 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 our interest. So if Congo made a decision to say, you know what, forget what the Americans have to say, forget what the West has to say, forget what South Africa has to say, we got 8 million dead. We got 1,200 dying ones. We got 45,000 dying, you know, dying. We have, you know, 1,200 dying a day, 45,000 dying a month. Forget this. It's the 96 thing. We're going to do what we need to do. We're going to solve this militarily. If no one likes it too bad, they have their shot. We have a justification as Congolese and our national sovereignty and integrity to do what we need to do for the country. But unfortunately, 65% of our budget is coming from outside the country, including the U.S. So what's happening is that we're putting our national rights and sovereignty in other people's hands. So once the Congolese say, okay, Americans, look, we have you to do this for so much time. With Mobutu, we tried to get rid of him, you can't support him. The British, we tried to get rid of those guys, you can't support those guys at the time. Rwanda, here's the situation, you know it's going to support Rwanda, you support the Ghana, you support the Mozambique. You know what, forget it. We're going to do what we need to do for our country and call it a day. And then if people want to have questions about what that really happened, well, you we know, what the effect would be, look what happened when Chuck went to Congo and said, you know what, we're not going to do business with the IMF and the World Bank. We're going to do this big, we're going to do this deal with China. And you saw the reaction that the Americans out of the West had very quickly. Wait a minute, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We, uh, we have to re uh, reevaluate our situation in Congo. Once we start doing that, then you'll see the West falling into place in reference to supporting uh, Congo. Because one thing that the Western people like is they like a strong power anywhere. And they'll align with that strong power anywhere. And that's basically the situation we have to have as colleagues. We can address the situation by taking matters into our own hands. Then people will go along with us. Otherwise, we're dead. The rebel leader, uh, Laurent Kunda, is a former uh, army officer of the, the Rwanda Defense Forces. He claims to stop the genocide of his Tutsi uh, ethnic group in the Congo. Is it acceptable that more than 5 million Congolese lose their lives to protect the Tutsi minority in the Congo? No, because basically what's coming down to is that in Kunda, sooner or later, as they, as, with their, as they work, the saying goes, what goes around comes around. There is not a justification in the world. The Tutsi, or what have you, Bayonlingi, Mulingi, whatever they're calling themselves this week, and I'm not saying it in a racist way, it just seems the need to change every, every, every other week. There's a minority within a minority within a minority. I mean, they couldn't even build a village in Bukama. So, for him to stand there and say, okay, well, Oprah and Edison Cooper were defending the rights of the minority Tutsi, okay, yes, we're killing thousands of, of Bashi, yes, we're killing Stamakou, we're killing Baluga, yes, we're killing the, the Shonye, yes, we're killing some both Bakuzu, but we have to defend the rights of the Tutsi. He has no right to, to do that, and for people to believe that story is really ridiculous. All he's doing, basically, is creating the death warrant for all the Tutsis when one day he's removed from his situation, and then he's going to look 
country. But the minute this guy in corner comes in the picture and says, particularly Twizzy, now he's Twizzy first, and you call him leave maybe second. So look, what, this, this is what's going to happen. You took out my village, we're going to come get you. That's the situation that could have created. It happened in Rwanda, it happened in Burundi. Yeah, it's just, it's just that excuse for a joke. We got like almost 8 million dead. What can you be possibly say the thing that Twizzy? It's a joke, and everybody knows it. And by the way, uh, Congo has more than 400 ethnic groups, most of them are minority groups. Exactly. Uh, Darfur is getting a lot of attention. Why do you think uh, Darfur gets more attention than Congo? Because, it's, you know, anytime it's, it's a situation of it's quote-unquote Arab oppressing the blacks, where the clear division like South Africa, where it's the minority white oppressing the majority blacks and the colors and those people, whatever, then people can relate to that. You know, they can say, well, the Arab, quote unquote, the Arab militias, the Arab Janjaweed, the Arab, you know, what, what have you, are oppressing these poor little black Africans in Darfur. That's what it comes down to. And then basically you tie that the aspect of the anti-Muslim ideology that seems to that be very prevailing. People can relate to that very easily. But what a lot of people don't know is half the John John Weed came from Darfur. And it was the Darfurian rebels that started the whole fight in the first place. And they used the Darfurian civilians as shields against the Khartoum army who was fighting against the guy, uh, fighting against Dorang in the south. But when it comes to Congo, the Baluba, the, the, ba, the Bapusu, the Songhe, the Bahongo, you're looking at black person fighting black person. People can, uh, can, can identify with that. People can, can pick the good side, what have you. It's almost like black-on-black crime in America, you know? But, you know, if a white police officer kills a black guy, then that's very easy to, to, to define. If a black police officer kills a black guy, then how do you take racism? So that's the situation in Congo. And uh, uh, you see a game being played by uh, uh, Western media whenever they talk about uh, the victims of uh, the Congo conflict. The media uh, often talks about the cause of death, uh, starvation, diseases. Uh, they don't stop by just giving the, uh, the, the, the number of victims. They need to add uh, the, the, the cause of death. Uh, uh, could, you, could you expand on that? Million, and that's an understatement because the Red Cross was 5 million back in 2003, and I have a document. 
foundation. Life is a justification for why they died. Because what happened is they come out and put the report out on the headlines that said, 7 million Congolese dead, murdered because of this. Then the international community is going to be forced to, get, is, is going to, be forced to intervene. But if you justify the death, you don't have to get involved to prevent the death. There you go. It just really, it just really irritates me. It is so disrespectful, disrespectful of us, not just as Congolese, but as human beings, because you're justifying our death. Well, how the how come the person died of disease? They couldn't get to the hospital because they went off to the field and they got away. When they went down the road, they got kidnapped, made the child soldier. When they went down the road, they got killed. And then when they got to where they thought the hospital was going to be, it was destroyed by the rebels supported by Uganda and Rwanda. You don't say that part. This person died. If they died of starvation, of course they died. They couldn't go to the field because they said being a rape, murder, or shot, or gunned down, or conscripted as a child soldier. The, the, the food was being burned. The rebels came out and made a, a mass exodus from Bukavu uh, down to Goma, so they couldn't eat. They're starving. They circled the camps. The IRC can't get in. The Red Cross can't get in. And you know, uh, boys can't get in. They can't get no food, so they're starving to death. Well, why is it when our Jewish brothers and sisters being starving? Death by the Nazis, that's death. But when it comes to Congolese starving to death over there in, in Bukavu or, or Sachib or whatever, there's a justification, that's a joke. I clearly see your passion about uh, about this. Uh, it's very emotional, and it, it's emotional not not only for you. It's emotional for all of us, all the Congolese who watch uh, what's uh, what's happening in the Congo. There is another weapon uh, that's being used uh, uh, for this genocide. It's uh, sexual violence. They use sexual violence to drive women away out of that uh, of their their villages. What do you think about that? You know, I remember when uh, the Taliban was running Afghanistan, and a lot of people knew what they were doing there. They were they were bringing a, a very strict law, uh, their perception of, of Islamic rule, to the country. They destroyed the two statues, and they were doing the execution things like that. The one thing that really got people motivated, if that's the right word to use, that brought attention to what was happening in Afghanistan was when uh, President Bush's wife, Laura Bush, brought the issue of the women being raped and, and slaughtered in that country. You saw an uh, uh, exponential increase in support for that country. It's the same thing when they talk about Rwanda, and you see that movie called Rwanda, where they show the quote-unquote 50 women being raped and stuff like that. When you show those images, it, 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 it touches on the aspect of your humanity of seeing a woman which too often has been portrayed as in, in, in a lesser state, which is not true. But that, for some reason, tends to support everybody. But again, when it comes to the Congo, and brother, I get emotional when it comes to this, because that's our mothers and sisters and grandmothers out there. When I'm seeing stories of a 98-year-old woman being raped by 15 men over and over and over again, and then there's no one that defend her, it gets me. When I go see uh, something like King Leopold's both that movie, there were certain issues about it. It was too pro or one for me. But there's a scene there where a woman in her 90s has her arms chopped off. That's too much. When you see young girls just being brutalized, 15, 20 men kept as sex slaves, where's the outcry? 
when the outrage. My brother only called and talked about it in one of his poems when he, when he had the spoken word. You know, people talk about that. The problem comes to it comes to stereotype. How is it that you can have 40,000 women raped in a period of time and you want to negotiate with the people that's doing it? What do you say to the woman? It's like serial, serial Liberia. I hacked off your arm, but you know what? To have our peace, they're going to make me a vice president, like they do with Rivera. They're going to make me a, a, someone, some person in parliament. Where's the justification? They're not only being raped by the, by the, by the Rwandans and Ugandans and the Howard Connolly supporting them, they're being raped again because they're not, they feel they're not being defended by anybody. Then these foreign governments come out with their little NGOs and they start doing these little shelters and things like that and start telling the Sylvesters and the Saeeds and the Omi Congos and the Franklin Katundas about how we need to interact with our own colony women. Our colony women, you know, Mobutu had an issue, you know that. But I cannot, you can correct me, I don't remember massive sexual femicide taking place in the Kivu, in, 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 in Katanga, Kinshasa, and Matata. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And even what more has to happen for people to realize there's extermination going on. Because the minister or Congo Vision or whoever takes matters into their own hands, then they're going to come and say, well, you know, we have never been conferences to justify no more slaughter and extermination. What about the 40,000 40, that's being raped? How many villages have, have, have been destroyed because of that? That's a joke. That's a joke. I'm done. Lisa, I'm done. Lisa Jackson uh, talks about this in uh, her documentary, uh, uh, What's the Title Again? The Greatest Silence. Um, and it's, I watched the documentary with tears in my eyes. Um, in 1994, the international community stood by as more than 800,000 Tutsi and moderate Hutu were slaughtered in Rwanda. The world vowed not to allow such a tragedy to occur again. Why is it allowing it to occur now? Yeah, I know that's something that always comes up when I ask some people. I mean, you know, you want to ask, when does never again happen? When does never again become never again? It goes, it, it, it's kind of funny because I think two weeks ago a paper came out on, uh, I think some, some powerful intellectuals in the United States got together and they put together a paper that they want to give to uh, President-elect Obama in reference to the, the U.S. policy towards uh, genocide prevention. And as I was reading it, I was getting so nauseous and laughing at the same time. Because it kept saying, and I was written last week, it kept saying, when the next genocide appears, this will should happen. When the next humanitarian appears, this will happen. When the next catastrophe of slaughter of people, this will happen. Exactly. Just by reading that, the reader's being convinced that, well, there's not, I guess nothing's happening now. And it's the same thing coming back to Darfur. People always say we can't have another Rwanda happen in Darfur. We can't have another Malaysia happen in Darfur. Well, what about Congo? Come on, give me a break. So this whole situation of, of, of people standing by and watching it, it it's a joke. It's just, it's too many people have too many interests to have this thing perpetuate. It's hard to believe for some people that... The very Tutsis who, and who chose, but the Tutsis who survived the genocide in Rwanda. And you never hear a colony justified. We always say it's not right what happened. What, what is the scenario? Mm -hmm. It's the people find it hard to believe that the very
Every survivor are the perpetrators of an extermination in Congo. People cannot conceive that. All they have to see is sometimes in April. All they have to do is watch Oprah when she talks about the FDLR. All they got to do is see Ben Affleck when he talks about the Rwandan Hutus. All they got to see the greatest sound when she talks about the, the Rwandan Hutus and all his people. The, 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 the idea that the very people who are called survivors are now involved the murderers has not been presented to, to the masses. And that's what people seem to forget. When we got invaded in 96 and we got invaded in 98, thousands of those that suffered in the Rwanda genocide came into Congo to get revenge. If they couldn't find the Hutu, they took on the Congo League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, that's that's the reason why many Congolese are now be, beginning to have mixed uh, feelings about uh, the genocide in Rwanda, mm-hmm. the genocide that happened in 1994. I mean, we felt really, really uh, bad and sorry for the people who were victims of uh, uh, of the, the, those uh, horrendous uh, gen- that, that horrendous genocide. Now the same mm-hmm. people are coming and uh, doing the same thing in the Congo. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I mean, uh, so could you tell us a little bit about uh, the Bayindo group, uh, your your group Bayindo? Bayindo stands for black, right? Bayindo stands for black, right? Yeah. Bayindo. <laughs> 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 they don't ask what it means. I think a lot of folks don't.
McCain's foreign policy towards Africa was compared to President-elect Barack Obama's foreign policy towards Africa by the same tax in Washington, D.C. And to a person, they all said President-elect Barack Obama's policy towards Africa is exactly the same as John McCain's. And John McCain's is based on President Bush's. And John McCain's wife is best friends with Paul Agami's wife. His husband was overseeing the whole extermination in the first place when he gave Kagame the go-ahead to come in. Susan Rice is now tasked to be the United Nations ambassador pending her confirmation by the Senate and the House. She's the person that was the assistant secretary of Africa who basically told our ambassador in Washington, D.C., who she said was, who said the peace deal is not good for Congo. Susan Rice, Dr. Rice came out and said, I think she's a doctor, came out and said, yes, it is good for Congo. It's good for everybody. Well, it's not about being good for anybody. It's what's good for Congo. So now we have a voice in the United Nations. You got Hillary Clinton. When was the last time she spoke about Congo? When was the last time she visited Congo during her Chinese journey around the world? And on top of that, I believe President-elect Obama was asked about a, about the humanitarian crisis and U.S. intervention, and they referred to Congo, among other places, in during one debate. He never asked the question. So things aren't going to get, you know, things aren't going to get any better. Things may, when you keep the hope and the change that people are talking about, but when you see the very people who are in the, the Clinton administration now being part of the Obama administration, and a lot of people were very well responsible for why we're in the situation in the first place, how are they supposed to change all of a sudden? Why are we supposed to sit back and say, oh, now we're going to friend of Africa? Well, he never said he was, he was a friend of Africa during his campaign. So what's supposed to be different? And now we have Susan Rice. The only good thing that came out recently was that the U.N. mandate got extended for another year, even though I think, you know, what have they done in the years they've been there. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Susan Rice addresses that if she becomes the ambassador to the United States the United Nations. For me, I personally, based on the record of those coming into office, Samantha Powers, the friend of Rwanda, she's a advisor for President Obama, you have Dr. Rice, you have all these other people. Sadly, Jendaya Frazier, sadly for me, I don't know what role Ms. Frazier will have, but I don't see a change in foreign policy, and I think Barack, with elect Barack Obama, is going to focus on domestic policy with the economy and the recession and the unemployment, and let um, Secretary of State, elect um, or designate Hillary Clinton deal with the foreign policy. And if that happens, but let, let, let's uh, give credit where uh, credit is due. Um, sure. uh, Senator Obama did uh, ask President Bush to uh, initiate some actions uh, uh, towards the Congo to do something against the sexual exploitation of women um, that was taking place there. Uh, he even co-sponsored a bill for the Congo for uh, democracy promotion for the the Congo. Don't you think that uh, with the, that kind of uh, involvement, uh, he uh, may help uh, do something for the Congo? I mean, he's going to be setting the tone. He's going to be uh, telling the administration what to do. So Hillary Clinton is going to be doing what uh, Barack Obama is going to ask her to do. We'll see, because I'm not, you know, I, I know about the, uh, the, the, um, you know, the, the humanitarian that he was talking about in sexual violence. The problem is that when he approved the measure with the other senator, and I, and I have a lot of love. Again, we always give credit where credit's due, and that's one thing I think we should do more because a lot of people are trying to work with the Congress. So I give him credit for pushing that resolution. I think like $52 million over two years. But that resolution was directed at American institutions in the Congo. And on top of that, 
a, a good friend of mine, Solange, down in Miami, made a good point. We're borrowing our own money because that's $72 million over two years. If you go to Kasai, $72 million of diamonds alone leave that place every year. That's one province. So if you do the math, we're getting less than we actually have ourselves, whatever. Once we can resolve the humanitarian crisis and let go to the sexual violence, yes, he was talking about the sexual violence, but he wasn't talking about the root cause of how they ended up being in that situation in the first place. He's talking more about rehabilitation and care for the women. Well, how are we going to address, we need to address the situation why they became victims in the first place. But you never saw this to this extent under the old dictatorship of Tepeco. So I give Barack the initiative. I give him, I give him much respect, much love for the bill he'll pass and him speaking to a certain extent on what we need to do for the Congo. At the same time, Congo is not Namibia. We're not, you know, we're not some state that has nothing. I mean, I love my Namibia, so war protests, you know, take it out on me. Congo, we shouldn't be getting foreign aid when we have our aid under our feet. This is the problem. They're giving us 50, it's like those little check cashers in these places where you go be drawing the bank account. You have your $100 check and they take 5% out. They're giving us $52 million over two years. They're taking out $72 million in one. So they're not losing any money. They're not spending money they don't have. They're giving us our own money that they're losing from us. What we need to do is have a situation. Look at China. China had nothing a couple years ago. Now they have a, a, $13, trillion, a $13 billion sovereign wealth fund. That should be Congo. But we don't need economic aid. We don't need humanitarian aid. We should have all our debts in a week. That's how much money we have. So all this stuff for sexual violence, all this stuff to help up with humanitarian aid, is paying the figure that Congo has nothing. And if people believe Congo has, has nothing, then they won't be able to understand that Congo has everything, which is why there is sexual violence, why there is a humanitarian crisis, and why there's discrimination going on in the East. So I give much love to President Barack Obama for at least speaking up on certain issues when it comes to the DRC. But at the same time, people are being homewicked, as Malcolm X would say, are being homewicked and bamboozled to believe that's the state of Congo. We as Congolese need to let people know, you know, we are not some backwater country that has nothing. We have everything you need. You want it. You have the chance to get it. Do business the right way, and everybody is happy. But unfortunately, so many people convinced that we need to have aid for Congo. We need to have aid for Congo. We already have the money. That's why you're here. You're looting it from us, and now you want to lend it, it, it back to us with the interest rate? Give me a break. Well, in order for the Congo to be able to do all those things that you're talking about, you need uh, solid leadership in the Congo. Do we have that? Do we have that? Yeah. No. When we don't, I mean, the... I think it was brought up that, you know, in a conversation I had recently, the person was trying to listen, they didn't know who they are. <laughs> but we don't. We have, when Rwanda, when people want to come out and say, Kinshasa is supporting the FDLR, they do, and there's no response. It's like in America when you had the Swiss boat veterans coming out abusing John Kerry, and he said nothing. Our leadership in Kinshasa needs to be not making once-a-year Christmas resolutions and Happy New Year going on eight. These can be in the media to the Congo. They say, look, this, let's, let's, let's get the this, this story straight. We are not supporting the FDLR. We weren't occupying Kivu for five years when Rwanda was there. Rwanda was there. Who do you think was doing business with them? The Rwandans, the Ugandans. And now all of a sudden people want to take the FDLR to our problem all of a sudden when they were there. Who let them in there? The French. And but now all of a sudden it's the Kinshasa's problem. We want to solve this militarily. And we put 10,000 troops in the key to deal with this. All the international community came running down saying, oh, no, we have a peaceful conference. We have a peaceful conference. Forget that stuff. The leadership is not vocal. It's not up front. It's 
saying what you want. People read that, and they say, oh, this must, this must be what happened in Congo. Because from that, that, have you ever noticed that in a lot of these newspaper articles and on some websites, whatever, they're always asking the Rwandans, particularly the Ghanaian Prime Minister and those guys, about their opinion about what's going on inside of DRC. But they never ask the Congolese, like Kabila or whoever, about what's going on in Rwanda. You ever notice that? Mm-hmm. Those are the only websites. They're always saying, you know, famously, now, what do you think about the Congo? What do you think about Rwanda? Well, how will Rwanda know what's going on in Congo? Because they're there. They're just shots right now. You think, well, we're, we're there. Anyway. <laughs> so what kind of leadership do we... Could you imagine if, if Obama's been, and uh, Osama bin Laden, excuse me, Mr. President, of, uh, I won't be like Jeremiah, right? Could you imagine? Just imagine this. If Osama bin Laden was seen walking down the street in Washington, D.C. or North Carolina with a 300-strong militia. Today, you think he'd be on the street the next day, the American would steal off the city to find him. But no, Rivera hired RCD with Wamba Diawamba and Jacques Delbochet was trying to read for himself at some national economy. He's walking along Kishasa with both 300-strong militia. How many people did he kill? What was his when, when we had a million, two million, three million, four million, five million, six million Congolese killed? Where was his mouth then? But you kill 150 Burundians, you got some turkeys in Burundi, he wants a national day of mourning for Indian Congo. And then he goes to Kagame and says, look, we need to have a national day of mourning. So is he Congolese or is he Rwanda? Is he Which one is it? So how the leadership allowed this man to walk the shop and the day? It makes no sense. It's embarrassing. In closing, uh-huh. in closing, do you have any message uh, for the Congolese or for Nkunda or for, uh, for the United States? Oh, uh, here's my message to the Congolese. Uh, look, Wulogwe, over there in Kasai, Lumumba, you know, Wulele, Zinga, Zinga, this isn't the Congo that they died and sacrificed for. We didn't kick out the Belgians just to have Congo be like this. We don't need some former colonial power to tell us what to do after we kick them out, after we built that country, Antwerp, Brussels. We built those. How are they going to tell us what to do? We're Congolese. This is our country. Even Bamba and those guys, as much as people dislike them, when the thought that the, the invaders was going to dismantle the country, even Bamba wasn't going to allow that. We are Congolese. We need to defend our country. You Congolese youth out there who are born in the country, stop trying to... The country needs you because that's the country where your culture and your roots and your past come from, and you want a place to go back to or visit where you can say, This is my home. Like the hospital they're building, the clinic they're building in Kasai. To the other people of the world, to the Americans, hey, look, it comes down to this. Well, there in Bosnia, you talked about what happened in Cambodia, you talked about the slaughter in Nanking. You want to talk about Rwanda. You want to talk about Kony Chinese people, the invisible children. You want to talk about what's going on down for Why are you so quiet about what's going on in the Congo? I'm not talking about least those on the world for Congo, which is a great initiative up in the Northwest. I'm not talking about Nita and those people in Washington, D.C., through Colonel Global Action, who's doing what she needs to do, or the people up in the Bay Area. I'm talking to the Americans who say, well, Celeste or Congolese, we want to do something. If you want to do something, go, to a, go talk to a Congolese. Not one that has its own political agenda and thinks he needs to be the president of some community in, 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 in the United States. Go talk to a colleague who will present the facts of this is what's going on in ACD. 
and ask him, what can we do? Don't tell him or her what you want to do or what you will do. Ask Mr. Sylvester, here are my resources. Which resources are going to help you in your situation? That's one thing that we have. To the global community, one day, first of all, said, Africa is the gun, I'm the trigger. Other people have said, well, have a combo vote, Africa vote. That damage is shopping and power the entire continent and sell stuff off to you. One day. One day in our lifetime, we're going to see Congo was supposed to be. And the people that want them for Congo in this situation, we're going to remember them when we get what we have to be. I'm not talking about a vengeful way or a mean way. It's about now you want to come do business with us? Where were you after the 8 million person got killed? Why are you here now? So you have to make up your mind. You want to defend Congo with your resources and be an ally? And be like the Asians who have good memories, those that helped them out during the Nanking Massacre and World War II and those things, the Indochina War, what have you? Or do you want to be a person that goes to Kinshasa and that person was someone that lived in North Carolina and remembered you saying, oh, well, the Congolese, you know, they had it coming, they had it coming. You don't want that situation. You want to go to Kinshasa, you want to go to Shabbat, you want to go to Yemen or Bukavu or Goma and say, look, here's my dossier. I was advocating for you guys. Here's my resources. What can we do? One day, Congo's going to be where it's supposed to be, where it was, and we're going to live to see it. That's all I have to say. Could you remind our listeners uh, how they can uh, um, access your website? Oh, yeah. They can go to, uh, they can go to Blog Talk. My radio station can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Saeed, S-A-I-D as a David, Dabinga, D as a David, I, D as a Bob, I, N as a Nancy, G-A. And let people know, uh, the son of Dabinga was Saeed. You can come check me out there. You can go to on your Facebook. You can go to MySpace, put in Severin. And, you know, you can see some of our archive articles. You can see some clips from our Congo movie, Once Upon a Time in the Congo, that would talk about the war to feature film coming next summer. People can take them find me that way. They can go to Congo Vision. I think we have a link there. So... Write in, let us know what you think, listen to the station, call in, chat. But for me, it's not about me. It's about the fact that there's you with Congo Vision, there's the Congo Action, there's all this Layla. We have to communicate among each other and combine our resources instead of just working by ourselves you know, in our different areas. You know, you are what you are. I am where I am. But look at this connection. This is the connection that people are afraid of. This is the connection that's going to build our country. One connection at a time. You guys have a vision. You've been there from day one. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you keep up. But I don't know. Every time somebody comes out, I go to Congo Vision first. Hey, let me put one on here to make sure it's true. There you go. Thank you very much. You have the brain of your father. Thank you. Bye-bye.
understand that first lady Michelle Obama is going to go to Africa, but she's going to go visit uh, South Africa and Botswana. Okay, so give her a chance, a time, give her an opportunity to talk to Obama because her life is taking a reading of serious pressures on CRT to really um, get to the gun point. Because in my opinion, of course, everybody's going to say they support their own country or support China or something like that. No, she's not going to vote for Botswana. She's going to go, yeah, she's going to vote for Gabon um, in the capital. So it would have been nice to see I went down to the DRC, see what was going on, see what was going on, and stuff like that. Yes, inversely, you know, what are we going to do? It's our country, folks. What are we going to do? What difference are we going to make? It's in our hands. It's not going to be about just the women working by themselves and men working by themselves. It's about us all working together. And we looking out for the Congo. All these other people who say they're, you know, they're aligned with DRC. If you look what's been happening in DC, I noticed that in DC, every time there's these little, you know, a group gets together to do something, a lot of these other groups that kind of run their mouths aren't there to support them. You know, and I think that's the sad thing. I think when people do an event in DC, we should all support each other instead of pointing fingers or thinking we're above these other people. Because I'm going to tell you sooner or later, the truth is going to come out about some of these organizations that are out there advocating for DRC. I already know enough about a lot of them, but. My main focus right now is on the film. You know, we were talking about this film. A lot of work. You know, we have Viva Riva out now. I met the brother when they screened that movie a little while ago. So that's his view of Kinshasa. I have an issue with it. But, again, that's his view of Kinshasa and his experience. I have my view of Kinshasa and DRC based on my experience. So we need to tell more stories. I know I saw my Facebook page. Something about a mini-movie. I had to play it on the low because I was doing some work. But it looked like there was a scene they went some soldiers, approach a woman, she thinks she's getting raped, and the, the husband thinks he's going to get assaulted. And what happened is that she was trailing carrying the wood, and then they cut to the village, or, yeah, one of the villages, and the woman comes in, and the soldier's walking behind her, and the father thinks, the husband thinks something's going to happen to him, he gets on his knees. And all that happened was the guy, apparently, um, the soldier carried the wood, and I think that his commander told the, you know, the husband, like, yo, you need to be out there helping your woman carry this stuff. You know, why are you back here lounging? I couldn't really get, that's the flow I got, so I couldn't hear the um, uh, the dialogue itself. Because, again, I had it on the low. I had it off, so I was only saw the visual. But I think I have the message of what he's doing. And um, obviously, I can post here on my blog talk or find me on Facebook. It's over there. People tend to post stuff up on my page. So that's what we need to do. We need to show Congo as we need as we see it. And we have to remember, it's not all the soldiers that are out there doing what they do that's, that's destructive for the country. There's a lot more out there who are fighting for the country, that stood up for the country, and are standing by the country. We need to honor those guys any way we can, you know, whether it's in our film or, or in what you do or what our listeners out there are advocating. Let's make sure we don't demonize everybody in the DRC. We're just going to set us back. So, now then, you know, hope you had some fun with that. Let's come back into a little music here. Come a little close. Let's see here. Hmm. We had, like, a little African vibe going on here. What is I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Oh, I got something for you guys. Just keep playing a little African beat here. Let's go back to this nice little cut here that's usually played at the African party that gets all of the Africans and West Indians on the floor. Oh, my God. 
can't do it. You already had it once, can't do it twice. Uh, a friend of mine has walked in and said, I got to hear it again, I got to hear it again. But you can't hear her because she's actually standing behind me, like, you know, doing those motions, you know, like sign language and stuff like that. So, nope, can't hear it again, my dear. But, you know, I'm getting a whole, whole lot of people from Chicago. I mean, like, lately. And, you know, Chicago's that land of house music and stuff like that. So, I'm like, wait a minute. I, Let's give a shout out to my people up there, uh, out there in Shy uh, Town, and all you house heads out there that's in LA listening live and listening across the world.
to a club right now. Oh, my good, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. You know, we open up with Tupac. You should close it up with Tupac. Tupac, take it home. Y'all doing well out there? 
take care. We'll be back sometime next Sunday when we talk about Syria. Ladies and gentlemen, good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.